You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, July 21st, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Wai Chan Bui. Hey, everyone. HG, how's it going? You're here for a news episode. I know. It's been a while. It's been, like I think, since before the transition. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's my first time doing a news uh, episode for articles that I haven't written. So yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit since since I've done a news episode. It feels like um, you know we're we're always trying to squeeze in water coolers where we can. But um, there's a lot of news happening and a lot of news yet to come because Comic Con is about to kick off in I don't know 30 minutes or something. The first big Hall H panel is is about to get underway. So um, again, I mentioned this on the podcast earlier, but I don't think we're going to have an episode. Uh, tomorrow, Friday. So um, we're going to be like full in Comic-Con madness during that stretch. And um, Peter's going to be out of town. So I don't think we're going to have an episode then. Um, Hopefully on Monday, I'll be able to get Ryan. I'll be able to wrangle Ryan from his uh, Comic-Con haze and and, um, talk to him about his experience there. So uh, hopefully people can look forward to that. But um, let's dive right into today's news and just knock out a couple of these items that I thought were interesting and worth talking about. Uh, First up is that the the Russell boys are heading to the small screen, H. Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, father and son, are uh, going to be appearing in a new television show, and that is Apple TV Plus's um, untitled 
MonsterVerse series that is set in the the world of the Godzilla and uh, and Kong movies that we've seen um, on in the legendary uh, film franchise. So um, we don't really know anything about what characters these play, these guys are playing if they're going to be on opposing sides of uh, you know some sort of force or whatever if they're going to be like literally like, you know, shoulder to shoulder, like back to back fighting against these giant creatures or something. I'm not really sure what the scope of the show is going to be able to entail because it's obviously very expensive to have Godzilla or, you know, Mothra or some of these big titans uh, in a show that's designed for a streaming service. So we'll have to see. But certainly um, the the Russell guys are uh, are a, an interesting bit of star power to um, to a, a show like this. So maybe they'll uh, merge together and and uh, be, transform into one ultimate Russell man. <laughs> Do, does their um their presence in this show give you any more faith or, or interest in this concept of setting a, a TV show inside this uh, monster verse? Yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, I think Kurt Russell and both Wyatt Russell are really talented. Obviously, Kurt Russell is a legend in the industry, but Wyatt Russell has proven himself to be quite a talented actor in his own right. And is this the first time we're seeing them on screen together? Man, you know, it's. I think it's the first time they're going to be in a TV show together because it's it's definitely Kurt Russell's first time that he's going to be on TV. I think he, he lent his voice to um, a couple episodes of What If, um, which was like last year or something. But um, I think the first time, this will be the first time he'll be appearing on television since 1977, which is like <laughs> insane to think about. Um, and But I don't know if they've like, if Wyatt has, you know, had a cameo in a Kurt movie or something like that. I, I should have looked that up beforehand, but I don't know the answer. Maybe I can find it before we end today's episode. Episode. But um, yeah, it's definitely like one of those things where, like you said, Wyatt has sort of established himself now and become a name in his own right. And um, the idea of, of uh, father and son uniting on screen uh, definitely means a lot more now than it would have, say, I don't know, five, 10 years ago or something. So yeah, for sure. Um, Very exciting. Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Loki season two. Uh, they have added a new member to the cast who has, has boarded that new Disney Plus show. Yeah, so blind spotting star Raphael Casal is set to join Loki season two, uh, which will have Tom Hiddleston repri- reprising his role as the god of mischief, uh, along with the other very talented stars of the first season. So um, let's see uh, Owen Wilson, Google Mathara, Sophia DiMartino, Winmi Mosaku, all from the first season will be likely appearing in season two. Um, uh, we don't know if Jonathan Majors will be appearing again as the series villain Kang, but uh, we'll see. And we don't have any information yet on uh, who Raphael Casal is playing, but I love him. I have only actually seen him in Blindspotting, the film, not the TV series, but uh, he played an incredibly difficult role of having to be sort of the, you know, the, tr- the trouble of uh, mm-hmm. um, um, David Diggs' character, the the uh, hot-headed um, character who's kind of oblivious to the destruction that he wreaks upon other people's lives, but he's also extremely charismatic, so you kind of want to forgive him at the same time. Yes. Uh, but also incredibly ignorant of of even the place that he holds uh, within sort of like the racial like lines of uh, – uh, 
oh gosh, where where is it? I think it was, it was uh, Oakland? Oakland. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. in Oakland. So it's um he was fantastic in that film, and um, I'm excited to see him in more stuff. Yeah, he's definitely like he has this um, incredible charisma that I think would work really well in a show that is um I guess as sly as Loki was at least in his first first season. You can definitely see um you know him playing some sort of schemer or somebody like on Loki's level in terms of uh you know um. I guess like being on the the wrong side of of good and evil. Like I feel like he he has that ability to actually like play the straight guy and like uh, the straight man in in a situation where he could be you know an agent alongside Owen Wilson or something, or he could be um, I don't know even like a Loki variant or something. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Raphael Casal uh, take a role like that in in the second season. So definitely looking forward to that as well. Um, actually, I did some research and, uh, Wyatt Russell and Kurt Russell appeared in the movie soldier from 1998, but Wyatt Russell must've been very young. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. really count. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So, uh, more fear street movies are on the way. The, uh, Lee Janiak is, is the director of all three of the fear street movies that debuted on Netflix last summer. And those three movies, I cheated and put all three of them in my uh, top 10 of, of 2021 list. <laughs> I really love them. Um, I know you haven't seen them yet, but hopefully our listeners have uh, gotten a chance to check those out. And if not, they're Netflix originals. They'll, they'll, they should be there you know, forever, so, or as long as Netflix exists. Uh, so I encourage people to, to check those out. Um, at, at, they're like perfect summer entertainment, I think. So, uh, or, or good like October, uh, you know, leading into Halloween, obviously. But um, yeah, it, it, these movies debuted, I think there was one every a couple weeks or something, or maybe one a week for three weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to, to realize, to, to know that according to uh, Bloody Disgusting, R.L. Stein, who wrote the Fear Street novels, is saying that uh, more more movies are in the works. The, the quote is that Netflix is uh, very deep into development on more Fear Street projects. So um, we're not entirely sure what that means. Uh, I, I don't know like what the, the sort of longer plan is, but certainly the, the final uh, Fear Street movie ended in such a way where, um, you know, the, the door was left open for more there. So uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity, even though we don't really have any significant details about more Fear Street stuff, just to sort of plug that movie trilogy again and say that it was incredibly satisfying and uh, some, you know, one of my favorite like horror movie experiences in a long, long time. So uh, check that know, out. I do know that each Fear Street movie was a play on a different era of horror movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the 90s with the teen slashers, the uh, – The 70s, 80s, like, the uh, 80s. like Camp Crystal Lake, Friday the 13th kind yeah. of vibe was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, the sort of puritanical pilgrim. Yes. Like I, I don't want to <laughs> – Mess up the time period because I'm probably going to get it wrong. Anyway, I think that it was kind 1666 of, was the yeah. actual title, but yeah, yeah, 1600. So, um, if they were to be more Fear Street movies as they're you know in development now, would you like to see different eras be tackled? Yeah, definitely. And, and there's the um, the original trilogy did a good job of sort of like building up almost like a uh, a super group of villains of like um, you know formidable foes from each of those different time periods, and we sort of got hints at other ones that we didn't really get to focus very much on. Um, And I think there's a lot of opportunities to sort of drop those villains into different uh, eras and and contexts. And um, yeah, definitely like set actions 
in this town that was sort of like the the basis, the the, um, the hub for the action in in the entire uh, trilogy. Um, and yeah, just go further back in time and and um, yeah, give us a more different like uh, aesthetic options and stuff like that. I think that would be really cool. So. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see what what comes of that. But um, very deep into development sounds promising. Hopefully, uh, you know, fingers crossed it actually uh, comes to fruition. Um, okay, next up is uh, the Mortal Kombat movie that debuted uh, in 2021. Um, I think technically it was in theaters for a little while. It was also on HBO Max. It was one of those big uh, Warner Brothers uh, releases. Uh, Simon McQuad, I think is how you pronounce his name, was the director of that first film. I believe the first Mortal Kombat movie. Um, well, not the first because that was Paul W.S. Anderson that was like in the 90s. But the, this most recent Mortal Kombat movie was uh, Simon McQuad's directorial debut, his feature debut. And now he's going to be coming back for the sequel. And uh, this news sort of met our Slack channel with uh, a few groans because... Some derision. <laughs> yeah, he was, you know, he's not exactly like a, a um, I don't know, a memorable stylist or anything or... You know, somebody like um, Gareth Evans, who who has like a perfect, you know, or a, a really like um, memorable or um, uh, dynamic way of shooting one-on-one action scenes, which is sort of like what you want in a Mortal Kombat movie. That's kind of like the whole thing. Um, but then, then again, that first Mortal Kombat film was a lot of uh, throat clearing and table setting because the entire premise, like I said, is like characters uh get together they have like special individualized powers or whatever and they fight in a tournament an inter- interdimensional tournament for uh this to save earth basically and we didn't even get to see that tournament in the first or this most recent uh, mortal Kombat film but um now that all of that uh all of those pieces have finally been put on the board hopefully this sequel will actually give people a little bit more of the experience that they felt that they were promised you know, Maybe this they most finally get to around, so. the Mortal Kombat tournament that is in the title of the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I remember a lot of people really hated this, and I don't even really remember what I thought about it, which does not um, does not bode well for uh, the return of this director again. But uh, Jeremy Slater, who is a, a writer that we appreciate quite a bit here on Slash Film, he he wrote the um, Exorcist TV show several years ago. I believe he created that, and then he uh, was one of the writers on Moon Knight. Um, he is going to be writing the script for Mortal Kombat 2. Um, and he, I don't think he had any involvement with the first movie. So hopefully this, the story will be a little bit more streamlined, a little better, a little bit more, um, you know, in, in line with what people, uh, expect from a, a big sort of fun, uh, uh, fight tournament type of movie like this. So, uh, yes, we'll see about that. And then, uh, yeah, there's only one more, uh, item that I wanted to bring up here, which is, um, the Lilo and Stitch movie has found a director. Ashley, tell me about that. The Disney live action train is still chugging and the latest movie to be its victim (laughs) is Lilo and Stitch, a highly underrated movie from the latter years of the Disney Renaissance. It might be even in post-Disney Renaissance because it kind of came in after the height of the golden age of Disney animation during the 90s. Um, But this movie is is quite good. Uh, I don't know how it will translate to live action because one of your central characters is an alien uh, who looks very strange, so it'll be it'll be interesting. But um, the one thing that ha- that this movie has going for it is that the director that it has found is Dean Fleischer Camp, um, who is best known for directing Marcel the Shell with shoes on. The 
hybrid stop motion live action family film that recently was released in theaters by A24. A exquisite, marvelous, beautiful little movie. It's basically like a Studio Ghibli film uh, if it were given a millennial filter and um, but still retains that soul and um, loveliness. Uh, I absolutely love Marcel Deschel with shoes on. Uh, the sh- it's based off of a series of short films that Dean Fletcher Camp also uh, directed and created with Jenny Slate and put on YouTube. He also started Marcel Deschel with shoes on, but now he's going to be directing, probably not starring, in the live action Lilo and Stitch. Um, <laughs> Man, so, so <laughs> is is Marcel the Shell on your top ten of the list? If you or top ten of the year list, if you had to like uh, publish one right now, would this movie be on it? Oh, it's for sure my top ten okay. of twenty twenty two. It's I have not seen it yet, and I'm I really am like wanting to see it really bad because I know that you and and several of our colleagues liked it a lot. So yeah, um, it's just it's lovely. It's it just it starts out very cute, and you're like, oh, this is sweet. I'm gonna have a good time, and then at the end, you're like, why am I crying? <laughs> So do you think that he's the, I mean, it sounds like you do think that he's a good fit for, for this type of material. Like obviously there's a, a live action and sort of, uh, I guess you could, you could call it animation component to Marcel. Um, and, and presumably that's what they're going to have to do with Lilo and Stitch. Right. So do you think that, uh, I guess like aesthetically, um, he'll be able to sort of port that style almost directly over, or do you think he's going to have to, um, I guess, like spread his wings a little bit and, and sort of um, expand his uh, his canvas to uh, to fit Lilo and Stitch underneath it? Probably a little more of the latter because this is certainly an interesting choice. I would describe Lilo and Stitch as having an unexpected depth despite having a very wacky, irreverent, um, kind of eccentric tone to it. It's, it's I, I'm sure you guys remember the advertising campaign for Lilo and Stitch uh, back in the early 2000s in which they would feature famous scenes from Disney animated films and Stitch would um, just sabotage it some way. He would, Mm. you know, pour water on Ariel's head as she was (laughs) getting right to the height of her Part of Your World song. Uh, He would crash the chandelier when Belle and and Beast were having their – big dance so he was very much like that sort of Deadpool character but what I do like about Lilo and Stitch is that does have that um melancholy to it it's really about family and about this uh some more mature aspect of um this sister older sister younger sister relationship and how uh, the younger sister is going to be taken away by social services and you're like Mm -hmm. wow that's dark um but yeah I I do think that he has like a uh, Dean Fletcher Camp has like a quirkiness to his directing style that could translate well to Lilo and Stitch. I think I imagine Lilo and Stitch to be just much more just wacky, um, which Marcella Shell issues on is at times, but it's a bit more just kind of cozy if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, we'll. S- I- I'm interested to see how it- how it pans out because I do think that he's uh, a great talent and he was wonderful to talk to. I also had an interview with him and uh, he was just he seemed really passionate about both the stop motion art as well as directing in general. So yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. I'm very curious about the tone because from everything I understand about Marcel, it's like a very like uh, chill experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is not how I would describe stitch as a character. Like he's <laughs> so chaotic, like you're mentioning. So yeah. uh, I don't know. One of my like arguably bad to some people takes is that I don't really like Lilo and Stitch very much. The animated movie, like, I think um, 
on paper, all of those things that you mentioned about it, like the the sister dynamic and like the uh, some of the plot stuff actually makes a lot more sense on paper to me than um, than it was translated in the movie. Like the uh, I don't know, something about the art style and the which is like unique and I appreciate that, but it just looked really cheap to me. Um, so this is maybe one of the, the very rare uh, Disney live action, quote unquote, adaptations that I think might be able to actually improve on the subject matter. And I know that a lot of people are going to be like screaming at their devices and being like, Lilo and Stitch is perfect. What are you talking about? This is going to be a disaster. But like, since I didn't care for the original very much, um, maybe this will be one of those ones where it, I don't think that's ever happened yet, uh, yeah. where uh, there's it's, been a live action one worse. that's been better, but yeah. <laughs> Except um, for maybe Pete's Dragon, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Out. Yeah. So and that's also that. another auteur-led one, Pete Lowry, incredible director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yes, actually, I, I kind of do agree with you because I do think that Lilo and Stitch, I understand why Lilo and Stitch will put people off because it's 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 a, a little too silly. It's a little, little too just like Yeah, it opens with like this goofy. alien spaceship and all mm-hmm. these crazy characters and like, you know, it, it's just sort of like drops you in. And you're like, what the hell is this movie? And I think it was, um, I think the animation was like, it was ported off to like, you know, Walt Disney Animation Paris or like Orlando, or it wasn't actually like animated, if I remember correctly from my very brief, uh, not not deep dive, but like shallow into the pool dive into research after I watched it. Um, I think it was like animated by like one of the sort of secondary Disney companies. It was not like the animation was not handled on the Burbank lot, like a lot of the, the main um, yeah. uh, animation no. stuff. So, is, so. Yeah, I agree too with you to an extent because I do think that it could be improved upon, just made much more given more weight i guess you could say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i do think it's interesting because it came out at a strange time for disney where they were experimenting with more goofier more gag heavy styles i think kind of inspired by the shrek of it all trying mm. to chase that high so it's scott it has it's an era of more experimental but also um a lot more misses as as there were hits and i think leland such kind of toes that line in a really weird um but culturally interesting way (laughs) yes uh there's one other aspect of this that i'm kind of curious what you think about um so dean fleischer camp obviously a a white guy uh lilo and stitch is a very hawaiian story and like Mm -hmm. disney say what you will about them over the past i don't know let's call it decade plus um i feel like they've been going out of their way at least publicly to be like we've got cultural consultants and you know um, we've hired not just straight white people to make our movies or at least sort of like weigh in creatively on the the processes of, of making these movies um, to sort of add to the authenticity of these different uh, countries and, and cultures that they're um, depicting on, on film. I'm wondering if you think that, uh, that they'll do that again for Lilo and Stitch because it's so fantastical. Um, and I guess like secondarily to that, how crucial is the Hawaiian setting to Lilo and Stitch, like, could you, could you, um, I guess, have that sister relationship that is sort of at the center of the movie, and put them in a in a different place where it maybe they, you know, like the the um, what am I trying to say? The the uh, aesthetic of like Moana, mm-hmm. uh, even though Moana came out in what 2016 or something, that movie was like has been such a dominant uh, force in the zeitgeist that maybe it might feel strange for Disney to go back to that visual well so quote unquote, soon after Moana, but I wonder if they might be considering, and this is all just speculation on my part, I wonder if they would even consider moving it out out of Hawaii, or do you think that is like 
core to or essential to the, the core of the story. I think it's pretty essential, especially if you want to keep the Lilo and Stitch of it all, because Lilo is the one of the main characters as well. Unless you just make it a Stitch movie, which is possible. Um, but Lilo being, of course, a very intrinsically Hawaiian girl and Hawaiian name. Uh, and I will say, I think Disney is already making steps to do this because they uh, the screenwriter who is in negotiations to write the script is Chris... I'm going to mispronounce his name. I'm very sorry. Keanu Kalani Bright, uh, who is of Hawaiian and Japanese ancestry, and he uh, also wrote on Moana. So I think that, oh, okay. yeah, that connection is there as well. But like, I think that they aren't, I don't think they're afraid of like, uh, Disney is afraid of, of returning to that well. Moana too was sort of a mishmash of Polynesian cultures anyway. So it mm-hmm. wasn't quite as as tied to just Hawaii as Lilo and Stitch is. Um, and yeah, I think Lilo and Stitch, I think, think that it's it could be a story that could be you know planted anywhere but i do think that the charm of the story is in hawaii i think you're right i think there there's also an opportunity because moana was like a more of a period piece um Mm -hmm. that uh you know, setting something in at least like a contemporary or like vaguely modern Hawaiian context could be an opportunity to show, um, you know, a different, to have like a little bit of the, the, uh, aesthetic, but, but not make it feel too samey. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what happens here. This is definitely like, um, I don't know if I would call it an inspired choice, but definitely it's like a, a choice that makes sense, um, for, for the director of this project. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see if this actually ends up being like the the rare uh, improvement on the um, the animated original. So, uh, if you guys are, are big Lilo and Stitch fans and have thoughts about this, um, write in and let us know. You can email us at peter at slashfilm.com. I'd love to know what you guys think about this. So, um, okay, actually, I think we did it. We did a news episode for the first time in a long time. I know. So. We just br- we brushed off brushed the dust off of our <laughs> news accolades. We can still do it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So speaking of news, we're going to have a ton from Comic-Con. So um, yes, definitely stay tuned to SlashHelm.com, even though I don't think we're going to have an episode tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, make like bookmark the page, like check it all the time. We're going to have a ton of stuff published, uh, especially on Saturday night for the big Marvel panel. I, I anticipate there being a ton of news coming out of there. So uh, you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashHelm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dive into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhelm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save big money.